we're going to go through three points this morning. The first is going to be effective performance. And the second is going to be obstacles as in people. And all people are my enemy. Anyway, um, obstacles as in people. And then obstacles as in Satan and spiritual warfare. And so if you've noticed through the book of uh, Thessalonians, we're really we're doing a series called Running with Endurance. And every race has its obstacles. And so really for the next uh, month or a few months, we're going to be talking about what it is to be running with endurance and finishing the race well. Because there's nothing sadder to see than 5 or 10, 15 years down the line when we hear of people that have left the faith. And it's, it's kind of mind-boggling. It's like, I thought this person was solid. I thought that they had, were grounded and rooted in Christ. And then all of a sudden, we find them nowhere in the church, and they're kind of living opposite lives of what we would expect of a born-again believer to do. Because we remember, we got to think about this for a moment, is being born again is to be transformed. My whole life is different. No longer am I the old person, but I am the new person, that I'm new in Christ. We're going to talk about uh, that this morning, about effective performance. But it's like we have to remember that we are called to be followers of Jesus Christ. We're not just called to be observers and to just sit back and do nothing. We are actually to be running this race. And I will tell you this morning that it's by grace we are saved and not by works, but it's by faith alone. And we are grounded in that truth. But our faith causes us to actually get in the race and run. And there's a desire to run a race. And once you've been running for a while, your body trains itself where, not me, it's a little bit harder work for me, but the guy that I tell you about that I ran that big race with, they ran marathons and different things. He could just get up the next day and go run a marathon. His body had remembrance, a muscle memory, that would allow him to do this. And people like me, I can do it, but it's a lot harder work. But my point is, is that I have a desire to run this race. And when I've experienced Jesus Christ for the first time in His saving work and His power in my life, I have a desire to follow Him. But a desire is just a desire unless it actually is transforming me. And so there's a few obstacles in a race. And let's see if I can bend over without passing out. Um, There's a few obstacles that I learned as I was preparing myself to run a race. And as I was running the race, there was this real weird thing that was beginning to happen to me. And one thing, I would need new pairs of shoes, which drives my wife mad. But I'm like, i got to have new shoes because you can only put so many miles on shoes. But I also began to notice that as I was running, I was beginning to lose certain parts of my toes. And I know that's funny, kind of gross, right? But I noticed that my toenails were just losing, getting lost in the mix of miles and miles of running. And so I was beginning to realize this hurts a little bit. And so I was thinking, is this normal to lose your nails in running? And I read upon, and all runners, a lot of runners experience this. That all of a sudden you have toenails and now you don't. And so I was beginning as I would run, I would all, all kinds of obstacles in my way. From doing that to running uh, in the fields in Turkey. And then I went to Thailand and I I love to run the nations, I guess, but I was training there. I remember how hot it was. I'm like, I cannot do this. It was winter, and it was 93 degrees with humidity in Thailand, but I was like, I got to run the race. Next week, I'm going to be back in Istanbul, and we're going to run this race. I got to do it. There were so many obstacles. It's kind of like on New Year's Eve when you wake up and, uh, and you're like, I, I'm going to have New Year resolutions. You get up with the desire and then, where are you today? So not to do any guilt, we're 10 months in, and how are you doing? But there's always obstacles, aren't there? Anything that we set out our heart's desire to do is there are obstacles in every race. And I want to encourage us this morning that this is nothing that you can do. What I would like to do this morning is to exert you, to encourage you that you would continue on in this race and you would do the things that are needed to do it. 
But it's nothing that you can do. And so some of you may be sitting back, whether you are a beginner in this race, or you are in mile 12 of this race, which can be really tough, or you are in mile 25 of a marathon. Either way, we need encouragement, we need endurance, and we need to realize that the Holy Spirit is the one that pushes us on. So no matter where you're at this morning, just hold on, take deep breaths. God has got this. And God is in your life and He's in control. And so as we jump into the Scriptures this morning, let's pray together. And I have a few prayer requests that I would like you to agree with me for this morning. We have a little girl, Brianna um, Viado, that is in the hospital with a major infection in her arm. They can't figure it out. And so what I want to ask you guys to do is to pray with me that this morning she would, one thing, would be healed. And the other thing is that the doctors would have wisdom on how to handle her. And so let's pray. As we pray for the Word, let's also pray for Brianna Viado. Lord, we thank you this morning for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, there's some days that we just can get up and we can run this race with no distractions. Lord, we just feel motivated. And then there's those other days that we get up and we don't even want to get out of bed. Lord, we don't understand what's going on in life and we're struggling. But no matter where we're at today, Lord, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak to us this morning? We desperately need you to run this race. And Father, with that, as we have been reading through Thessalonians, the power of the gospel to transform lives. The power of the gospel to work miracles in individuals' lives. And the power to heal. And Jesus, this morning, as we are your children, we lift up Brianna Viado to you and we ask for a healing over her body today. And Jesus, I thank you that there is power in your name. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to her parents, that, Lord, you would grasp her parents' heart in the midst of all this struggle and turmoil, that you would touch their hearts and you'd be pr- bring peace. And I pray that Brianna would know that you are right by her side this morning, Jesus. And give her your comfort. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, I want to bring a high importance on the Word of God. And so the first point is effective performance. And so we're going to read through the Scriptures together, and then I'll break them down for us. And I hope we're encouraged from them this morning. But Paul is writing a letter to a very early and young church. A church that has been persecuted. A church that right from the onset has had uh, many obstacles and difficulties that have faced them. And see, what I think this is good about in our history as a church is that we are going to be encouraged by the Thessalonian church. And what God had done in their lives. And so much so the power of God had worked in their life that they had turned to God from idols and to serve Him and a transformation has taken place. And so as we read this together, let's have that mind in us. This is why we constantly thank God because when you receive the Word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, But as it truly is the Word of God, who also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit and wrath has overtaken them at last. That is for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and to see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. 
For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you, you are our glory and joy. And so, we don't have the words on the screen this morning, but that means you've got to turn your Bible. So go to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And I want to start off with this word because I think it's powerful. And I think it's necessary. And I think we are in a time of our society and in our culture that the Word of God no longer has its importance within society. And we understand that. The the world is making it very clear that they don't want the restraints of the Bible in their lives. And it's always been that way, but for a season... We have been able to be free and we've been able to do things. And we've seen the work of God through the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Uh, We've seen God's work in power. But we are at a different time and junction in history. But this is where it's different for the church. The church realizes that the Word of God has power. And the church realizes, I hope, that this is our anchor. That this is our running shoes. This is what we need to be able to finish this race well. That when I see Jesus face to face, which one day each one of us will, that I will know by His grace and by the power of the Spirit that I walked His Word out. And so Paul starts this section of the Scripture And there's many times in this letter that Paul says he thanks God for the Thessalonica church. And he says, this is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God which also works effectively in you who believe. And you see, that's why we hold high importance at our church, is that we read the Word of God. And what I try to do is when I give you the Word and when I preach, I try not to give my opinion too much. Although, of course, my opinions stick in or they sneak in because it's just part of who I am. But we want to keep to the text. And we want to ask God, how can we take the text and apply it to our lives? But first we must realize what was going on within the context of Scripture. And I'm really not that smart. And so I try to keep it very simple. Because it needs to be simple. This is not a hard thing. And the last time as I read through the the Gospels, or many times as I've read through the Gospels, I realized that Jesus has made following Him not very hard. The only thing that's hard is that you and I want to put ourselves on the throne. And we want to make it all about us. And so we hear, right here, everything revolves around me. But as believers, we fight against this on a constant basis. And so we die to self daily. And we need Him. There's not a day that we don't wake up that the gospel does not need to be spoken over our lives. And the gospel is power. But he said this about this church. We thank God because you received the word that we gave you, not as coming from us, but coming from God himself. And remember, we learned that the gospel came with power. And that when we speak the gospel to others, there is this ability that the gospel has, the Holy Spirit has to transform lives and to heal lives. Of all kinds of things that are going on, that is the power of the gospel. And remember we talked about this, is that if you're not seeing power in the gospel that you are sharing, I would tell us that we need to ask God, we need to beg God, as if he needed to be begged, that our gospel that we preach, his gospel, would have power. Because it wants to perform a work in people's lives. And as he's saying this to them, he says, 
The Word of God which also works effectively in you who believe. You see, the Word of God has the power to change you. It has the power to change circumstances. And we need to be in the Word because this word perform here, it really means function. And that's to do what something is used for. Perform as expected when operating. You see, the Word of God has power to change my mind and to change my heart and to change my actions. And there's a big debate out there right now. I don't know if you know this, but there's a man who broke the threshold of two hours for the marathon. And you know what? There's problems with that because Nike came out with such a good product that the shoe has a spring in it that they are now they are breaking records Because of these shoes. Why? Because these shoes were meant to perform. And so it's changing the whole dynamic of the race. And God's word is changing the whole dynamic of our lives and where our destinies are going. Because it's working effectively in our lives. And so I want to know, I want you to know that the creator of all things creates. Shoes better than Nike. And although I love Nike, and they, they, they have great running shoes. But I'm telling you, God's Word has power, and we see it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And I'm just going to go through the Scriptures, especially, I don't know if we have those. We do have them. But I'm going to go through them for you. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, for the Thessalonica church, this was a reality. As if the Word of God was transforming them. And Paul was saying, I'm thankful for that. So the word that was preached, the word that was speak, was actually transforming a whole people group. And we don't think of this a lot, but even in our own society, in American society, although we've had some bad things happen in our history, the word of God has transformed lives. It has not lost its power. And it's effective. In Isaiah 55, verse 10 through 11, and we want to build our faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word. That is not Isaiah 55, but that's how we get our faith. Is that when we're listening, we're reading, we're letting the Word of God transform our lives. So Isaiah 55, 10, 11 says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and, do, and does not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, the furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So this morning, God has a word for you and I. And it's going to perform what it's going to perform. And last week I shared about the sowers, right? You have the one that falls by the wayside, the one that falls by the stony ground, and then the thorny ground. And I didn't really get to the one that produces fruit. The one that produces fruit is a heart that is ready and prepared to receive the Word of God. And what happens to that fertile soil? And we see it as an example in the Thessalonica church as it begins to bear fruit. Some of 30 fruit, some of 40, and some of 100%. We are meant to bear fruit. But I wonder in our lives if we have not gotten so busy, so comfortable, that we're wondering if the Bible, the words of Christ, are actually transforming us and making us different. So today, you have a choice to make. Are you going to have a heart that is longing to be transformed by God's Word? Or are you going to reject God's Word? It's not all about what the preacher has to say. It's about what God's Word has to say. 
And it goes on in 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 16. And there's verses after verse about these, this subject of changing and letting the Word of God change us. But it says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And this word renewed means it's a state of being. To be or become reestablished in a like, new, and often improved manner. The Word of God has a power to renew us. And I want to explain to you this morning something that happened to me. And I hope this encourages you. This week I was going through some different things this, with people. And as you'll see, obstacles... Point number two is obstacles is in people. And that was a bad, tried to be a joke. It didn't work flat. So just laugh with me. Haha, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for making me feel better about myself. I won't cry later. Um, so my point is, I don't know, but we'll get back to it. Anyway, I had some people problem. I wasn't really for sure how to handle it. And I realized that in all my problems, just a little nugget of wisdom, all problems stem from relationships. Just so you know that is pride and all kinds of things, but usually it may be with yourself, but a lot of times it's with others. But I realize this, is that every problem that I have, it's not always the other person. And I realize that i got to start with me. All the time, and sometimes, I mean, it's not always good to, to think not too highly of yourself, but I realize that I'm human. And so I go back, and I remember the word that I shared with you last week. And, I, and it was uh, from chapter 2, verse 6, or verse 5, or verse 4. It's verse 4. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. And so as I was dealing with this issue, I was beginning to think, wait, God, I need you to examine my heart. And then he reminds me of Jeremiah 17, verse 9. This is the heart is desperately sick. Wicked. And who can know it? You see, we don't even know our own motives in relationships a lot of times. And this is our heart, and I'm, I'm like, I know the Holy Spirit has renewed me, but I still realize that there's some things in my life that still need to be fixed. And that's why we need to rely on the gospel so much. But then it goes on to say that the Lord knows the hearts. And he tests the motives. And so as I begin to think about this problem, I begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what is it in me that needs to change in this circumstance? And what do you want to do in me? And he begins to reveal it to me that I can go into this meeting, into this relationship, put my defenses down, and knowing that God has examined my heart. You see, the Word of God has power. The Word of God has power to change us. And I have to admit to you that if I was not a person of the Word, that I would not know to do these things in relationships. If you're not a person of the Word, you will not know how to deal with life. You can seek therapists. You can go to psychiatrists. They will give you plenty of great pills. But the Word of God is our transforming power. And I'm not saying you don't go to therapists. I'm not saying you don't go to psychiatrists. That is not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. If you are not rooted and grounded in the gospel, you will ultimately be back in the office going around the same mountain over and over and over again. 
Why? Because the power of God's word transforms our lives. And I want to ask you this morning, are we like the Thessalonica church, that the word of God has so transformed our lives that, that our testimonies now are being preached somewhere else? And I remember when God transformed my life and I began to hang out with that same crew that I did when I came, before I came to Christ. They began to see a change. And all of a sudden, they're like, Jeremy's different. He's not the same person. And I want to ask you, are you different than you used to be? The Word of God transforms us. And I could go over and over because as I've been sharing this and looking at what it means to be born again, the Lord is very clear that we are not to stay the same. If we are the same, the power has lost, the power of the Spirit has been lost, and I don't think it has. And later on in Thessalonians, we're going to see about this lawless man, lawless man that comes along, and then I think we're in trouble, but right now we are not totally in trouble. But I want to go on. And point number two is obstacles as in people. And we have to be really careful here. Because oftentimes when I want my way and people get in my way, I'm willing to take care of that person to get my way. But that is not what I'm talking about this morning. I am talking about a true opposition to the gospel going forward. So let's read what Paul says about this to the young church. For you, verse 14 through 16, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitator, imitators of God churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the things, same things from people of your own country just as they did from the Jews. And I want to stop there because remember... Early on in the series that Paul says, we're thankful because you became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's saying you have become imitators of the church in Judea. We're not real for sure why he chose the church of Judea. To point out, because persecution was heavy, remember in Philippi, he just came from a situation that was very dangerous. And persecution was happening. But I think he was going back to the church and was encouraging the Thessalonians that, look, you are not alone. And we find that in the Scriptures when it says this from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. It says this, Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world, you are not alone in your suffering. And have you ever thought about this? Your wounds... Your pain and your suffering, if you begin and we all share stories, we will see that we're not alone. And that we need each other and, and that, that we all face trials in life. And then this says this in 2 Timothy verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I wonder if we think about that much. It's like I realize in our culture, in our society right now, that we are not persecuted like we see in the Thessalonian church and in this history for us at this time. But all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It may not take on the form of a lot of our brothers and sisters in the world, but it will come. And some of you have experienced this. But as he's talking about the church in, from Judea, Jerusalem, I want to go to a very important scripture that we see in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. And the reason I want to share this is because there's a point here, and we must realize the point, and that Paul is saying something to the Thessalonian churches will continue. The gospel was having great effect. The Spirit had come after Jesus had risen from the dead. The Pentecost came and the gospel was spreading. And there was this man that popped up. He's one of the seven that they chose to, to feed the widows and the poor. 
And it was Stephen. And as he was taken into custody, he begins to share the gospel and share it very clearly in Acts 7. But here's what happens as he's sharing the gospel. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And they, they, the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of this young man named Saul, Paul, which wrote this book, which is pretty cool. While they were stoning Stephen, Saul, later to become Paul, was there. Stephen, he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do you not hold this sin, do not hold this sin against him. After saying this, he died. And then after that, a great persecution came to the church in Jerusalem where they were dispersed. And we look at persecution as a bad thing, but if it wasn't for persecution, the church would have not done what it needed to do. But they laid the garments at the feet of this man named Saul, and then we get this letter from Saul, which later, as I said, would be Paul. And so he has firsthand experience. And he says, you suffered the same thing as your brothers and sisters somewhere else. And he says they killed Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us in verse 15. But then he says this, and this is important for us to know. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles, and we'll just say sinners or pagans, so that they may be saved. obstacles in people. They were actually trying to thwart the purposes of God. And I want you to know this morning that God is unstoppable and that nothing can stop His Word from doing its work. And the Gospel has power. You see, so there is obstacles in people, and as a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. And so I want you to know this morning, and especially if you are a new believer, and if you are going to be baptized, or you were just baptized, or wherever you are at in your faith, as you are walking this out, that you will find opposition. So whether you're starting this race, whether you're at mile 12 or you're at mile 25, you are going to face opposition. And sometimes it comes from the form of people. And so you might wonder this morning, and why... Am I feeling God is calling me to spend more time with Him? He's calling me to engage in the church more. He's doing something in my life. I feel it. And then all of a sudden, all hell is breaking loose in your life. Sometimes it can come directly from a spouse that doesn't want to see you change although they've been praying for your transformation for years. And then all of a sudden the transformation takes place and like, wait, wait, I don't know you. Or it comes from jobs, it comes from situations in life. All of a sudden you find yourself in opposition. This is normal. And next week, well, well the week after, we're going to see that Paul had warned them about this. 
so that they would be aware of what was going on. So if you're wondering, like, man, God is doing so much in my heart and inside me, but my outside looks crazy, don't put your eyes on the outside. Put your eyes on Jesus. Because you will have opposition. Now, it doesn't mean you walk around and you do what you want and you... You act pretty terrible and wonder why people don't want to be around you. That's probably you. Okay, and we need to know that. It may be you, a part of this equation. It may not be, though. I've walked in a room. I just have this wonderful effect on some people. I walk in a room and all of a sudden I feel all this opposition. I did nothing. And I'm wondering, like, what in the world is going on? And, and I, I see all around me, and I realize, okay, there's something spiritual going on here. That my spirit does not jive with their spirit. And so there's this opposition that's going on, and I have to be careful, which I'm not, see, this is why I need the Word of God to transform me, because I react. I'm kind of a reactive person, if you haven't noticed. I react to circumstances, and if I would just be quiet and hold my tongue and my actions, but instead I treat as if this is a fight to be had. And I need the Word of God to transform me. That I don't react like that. The people can be an obstacle to the gospel. And even people can be obstacles to what God wants to do in a church. And I'm not saying anybody that doesn't agree with what we're doing is an obstacle. Are you kidding me? No. So we need those checks and balances. But when God is doing a work in our midst, I promise you, it it fails not. When God begins to do a work in Cornerstone Church, we begin to see a little movement forward. There is always opposition that wants to come and cut it out. And then we just stop, we sit down, and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to just stop for a moment. This is getting crazy. And then we go back down. And I want to encourage us this morning that we need to be prepared, that we just go forward. In the humility, not in pride, but in humility, realizing that God has a call for Cornerstone Church. And it's not time to sit down. And we will do this thing through the power of prayer and for the preaching of the word. And then also we will be thankful because we are obedient hearers. You see, opposition comes, and it surely is. And you know what I saw that really, I I wanted to share this with you, but I I just didn't, I don't care about politics per se, but if any of you guys were listening last week, the Democrats had a, um, and I'm I'm not vouching for anybody, vouching for anybody. But the Democrats had this um, Democratic debate. It was all geared to the LGBTQ community. Okay, that's fine and dandy. There's this man that got up. And he said something that nobody else would say. And his name is Beto O'Rourke. A great wise man from Texas. And he said, they asked him, what would you do if religious-based organizations or churches do not embrace same-sex marriage? And he begins to go on, you can YouTube, and he begins to go on first. We are going to take away their tax-exempt status. And the people applauded. Of course, somebody came out a couple days later from that and said, that is wrong, and I appreciate him doing that. And that guy is homosexual. And I appreciate that he had, he stood up for the church. But here's the deal. This should not surprise us. This should not surprise us, nor should it cause us to be quiet. 
Because what did they do to Stephen? They shut their ears, they spoke up louder just so they wouldn't have to hear the truth. And this has been going on for a long time. That if we're just silent, we sit in the pews and we do nothing, we will be fine. And we will not be silent. You can't be silent. We speak the truth in love because if there is no truth, there can be no transformation. Once you take truth out of the picture, let's just go to where we want to go, whatever we feel is truth, which is where we're at. It's all a humanistic view. Is that my truth becomes subjected to how I feel. If that is you this morning, I want you to reject that lie from the enemy. It's not true. Our feelings are not our truth. Our truth is the Word of God. What does God's Word say? You see, we can't be silent. And I know, I mean, I'm like you, and I love everybody to love me. I do. It's just who I am, a pastor's gift. They want people to love them, and we want to love our people. But we don't compromise the truth. Because, again, Where will people turn when their days get dark and dim if there is no truth? They have nothing to turn to. So, this is a great segue. Just filled up my shoes. So what Paul is saying... Thank you. That's good. Thank you. You don't have to do that. She is so good. She's go. She's so good. Here's what Paul is saying. Those who oppose the gospel are filling up. If I had a picture this morning, they're filling up the wrath of God upon their lives. They don't realize this. But as they oppose the gospel more and more, they are just pouring out upon themselves a wrath to come. That is scary stuff. And this is where us as a church, that we have to be very smart and wise on how we do this thing we call Christianity. Because wrath is the outworking of God's righteous indignation at sin, perhaps describing an anger long building. That is what they're doing. And it says this, as a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and the wrath has overtaken them at last. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Is wrath hitting them now? And I would say, no, it's not. Actually, it is, but it isn't, because God promises, and Jesus promises this in John 3, that if they don't receive me, they've already been judged. So the wrath of God is already there. And for you and I that are not in Christ, the wrath of God is on us. But those who are in Christ, you are free from the wrath of God. Why? Because we know that Jesus took upon himself our wrath that we, you and I, deserved. And even that's a debate within the church. I'm like, no, he did it. It's scripture, Isaiah 53. He bore our iniquities. And our sins were nailed to the cross. Going to point number three, obstacles as in Satan, spiritual warfare. So anytime the church begins to get up off the pew and begins to desire to make a community effort or an effort to share the gospel with others, there will always be opposition from man and there will be opposition from Satan. And Paul goes on to say that, but... But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return to see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. And I want to share a couple things with you about Satan. Satan is a created being. 
You and I are created. He's not God's equal. He tried to take down Jesus in the wilderness. He tried to take down Jesus in the garden. He tried to take down Jesus on the cross. But then when the third day, it was done. He has been defeated. But for you and I, we face a formidable foe. We, we face somebody that knows the art of man. And he has been studying man for a long time. Why? Because he wants to usurp the authority of God. He wants you and I. And he doesn't care where we give our allegiance as long as we don't give it to our Creator. And that's where we always call people the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Not just a prayer, but a lordship. Saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I may struggle through this life. I may at times fall flat on my face with sin. But you are still Lord, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to ask you forgiveness, and I'm going to walk on. And then the power of the enemy has no power over me. But here's the deal in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in the faith. He's loud. And how many of you this morning are hearing the voices of another? When you walked in this morning, what kind of voices are you hearing? And I want you to know that the enemy is going to be roaring like a lion. He's going to be saying things like, you're no good. You're a failure. You don't belong here. Look at everybody else. Look how perfect they are. And Well, that's a lie. What are you hearing? You see, I've done this long enough and I've been in ministry long enough that when I see people come to faith, there is a roaring lion that is seeking to devour them. And what we are called to do, we are called to intercede, we are called to stand in the gap for them people and for ourselves and say we are not going to give in to the enemy. And James 4, 7 says this, and this is really key. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So I have a few questions for you. Are you a target of an attack from Satan? Are you a target of an attack from Satan? And I will say this, and I don't, I do mean, I do mean to offend you for a moment. You are not a target of Satan if you are not growing and you are just silent. And let me share what I mean by that. I remember when in Turkey when there were two, three people martyred for the faith. And I was able to go to the funeral and I remember being kind of frightened to be at the funeral because the Turkish government thought the Christians were going to respond in retaliation, which we did so opposite. Thank God for Turkish believers, which are small in number. But I remember walking and talking to missionaries. And every missionary that had shared their faith effectively had been beaten, had been spit upon, and had vile attacks against them. Right then and there I realized, oh no. If I'm going to be effective for the kingdom of God in Turkey, I will face opposition and potentially persecution. You see, if we're sitting by doing nothing, we... We're just there. I'm going to knock my water again. We are just there. So I want to encourage you this morning. And there's a lot more scriptures that I can get into, but I'm not going to, but I'll refer them just real quickly. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are powerful. And we don't wage war according to the flesh, but we pull down strongholds. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the, redem the, the, demoli demol there, there. For the demolition, 
of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So as we end this morning, if you guys would come up and for us. I want to encourage you this morning, and I, I hope that this is of an encouragement for you, is that there are going to be obstacles in your faith. And if the gospel has truly taken root in your life, you're going to be able to stand the test. Because the Thessalonians church, they were young. They weren't like some of you that have been sitting here for years. They were young in the faith, but yet the gospel had taken place and had taken hold of their lives where it transformed them. And they faced opposition of man and the enemy. But I want you to know, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And I believe in this time in our history, because of the polarization of our nation, that if God does not send a miracle and a merciful revival among us, we are headed down some dark roads. And I don't care what political party you stand with today. I don't see good in either. I'm very frightened that there will be men and women that will stand outside of a stadium to hear one man Because I believe that the church, unfortunately, can be deceived. Or you go to the other side that wants to steal our freedoms and all our rights. We're in a tough spot. But I'm glad we're in a tough spot. You know why? Because there's only one Lord and Savior. And in the church, we don't preach Republicans or Democrats, we preach Jesus. It doesn't matter where I lay today on my allegiance. My allegiance is with one, and it's not in my government, it is in my Jesus. And Jesus has the power to save, and he has the power to take us through whatever is coming. And we will face it with grace, with our hands locked, as a church, as God is unifying the church In real time, we are seeing it. The church will be strong as long as we have our root and our anchor in the powerful Word of God.